Okay, let's start with a little political tea to start this show today. I don't know if you guys heard this story. Rachel Maddow, her show on MSNBC, Rachel Maddow's producer, it was actually a senior producer, which is critical to this story because oftentimes when there's a mess up in the political world, it is blamed on a quote unquote low level staffer. Now we're talking, this, this low level staffer excuse is something you'll see from the FBI to politicians. Any mistake that is made, any messaging mistake, any mistake that's exposed publicly is always blamed on a low level staffer as if it doesn't represent the politician or the media personality, whoever it is. Well, this was a senior producer on Rachel Maddow's show. This was not just, you know, the little intern running to get coffee. Not that that's a bad thing. A senior producer on the Rachel Maddow show accidentally copied Madison Cawthorn unintentionally. Like I said, accidentally. They were talking about Madison Cawthorn. They did not intend to email. And it's basically everybody's worst nightmare, right? What's your worst nightmare? Gossiping with someone via text and accidentally typing their name, the person that you're gossiping about, in the to line instead of in the part where you write the text, where you write the gossip. It's everybody's worst nightmare here. So the, what they were doing, the reason they were gossiping about Cawthorn is because in North Carolina, there's a group, I think it's 11 total voters. So next to nobody, a very, very small group of voters, want to challenge Cawthorn's eligibility to even be on the re-election ballot under the guise. So in the Constitution, there's a provision that says that if you have taken part in an insurrection, if you have taken part in a rebellion, you are ineligible to run for public office. Now, I assume because of the due process clause that in order for this to be enforced, you would have to be convicted of insurrection. We all know January 6th wasn't an insurrection. Even the federal government, the Biden administration, they use that term, but they don't believe it because they haven't charged a single person with the legal definition of insurrection. So these 11 voters in North Carolina who want to disqualify Madison Cawthorn, instead of running a candidate against him, they want to disqualify him. This is cancel culture in electoral politics. They want to prevent him from being on the ballot, prevent him from being in Congress. So MSNBC was talking about this because that's what MSNBC does. Rachel Maddow also always takes these fringe lunatics and makes it seem like these fringe lunatics represent the greater Republican party. No, no, that's not true at all. Okay, so this producer is emailing back and forth with his team and they're deciding whether or not to ask Madison Cawthorn himself, Representative Cawthorn, for comment on this story. And this is the email that was sent among their team but accidentally, they copied Cawthorn's team himself. This is what they said. The producer said, we don't have a relationship with his office, and between you and me, ha ha ha, and between you and me, are a little worried that if we did inquire, he might ask to come on and explain. I know that is highly doubtful, but don't want to take that risk. Again, the most hilarious thing, I, it, it is everybody's nightmare. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that this fear has never has never been in my mind before. Everyone gossips. I gossip sometimes too. And yes, you worry that someone that you're gossiping about is going to hear you gossiping. Maybe that's a reason not to gossip, whatever. This guy, his worst nightmare is coming true. And because it's happening to someone on the left, because they were exposing themselves to be cowards, um, I think it's delightful. I think this is so funny. So Cawthorn responds by saying, he, he sends this tweet. We can throw that up on the screen. He sends this tweet and he says, what is Maddow afraid of? Yeah, why? what is Maddow afraid of? Now, we're about to get to the funniest part here, the funniest part. So Cawthorn then says to Fox News in a statement, fake news MSNBC doesn't want to quote unquote take the risk that I'll come on their show and trigger the left with my America first message and burst their woke dystopian bubble. The left doesn't want to debate from conservatives. They want silence. And now we have it in writing, sad. It's 
Okay, so this, again, this is all very funny in my opinion, but this is the funniest part. Rachel Maddow is trending on Twitter, but you know how we talked yesterday about Twitter moments, Twitter taking this editorial role on their platform instead of just it being a platform, they've become the publisher and they actually write little blurbs about what each trending topic means. Why is that topic trending? And their blurbs are just grotesque. Their blurbs are so ridiculous. They're so biased. They're so partisan. And they always misrepresent the reality of the situation if the reality is not flattering to the left. So Rachel Maddow is trending on Twitter because of this. And guess what Twitter's blurb is describing what the trend is about. The blurb says that Rachel Maddow's educational background is being discussed by Twitter users in light of this idea of a debate between Madison Cawthorn and Rachel Maddow. Like, what? What? That's how you describe it? No, she's trending. Rachel Maddow is trending because her senior producer admitted that they were too cowardly to have a what? A 20-something congressman on the right, on their show to debate, and yet Twitter says it's Rachel Maddow's educational background as if she cannot be defeated in debates because she has a degree from so-and-so and so-and-so, and who the heck cares where she went to college or what kind of degree she has. All we care about, all the American people care about is common sense, and Rachel Maddow is immune to common sense. She will not have she will not have Madison Cawthorn on the show. And like I said, this is political tea, political gossip, and I love it, except what does it show? What does this show? What is this attitude from the left show? That is the subject of tonight's show. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. All right, I want to I talk about this a little further because we can laugh all we want and we should. It's hilarious that Rachel Maddow is afraid of Madison Cawthorn. I mean, I, for one, would love to see that debate. I would love to see Madison Cawthorn call out Rachel Maddow, and Rachel Maddow would continue her endless sentences, her run-on sentences that go on and on and on without stopping, where she laughs at times that she should make points to deflect from the fact that she's not making points. I would love to see this debate. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the reality of what happened on January 6th. Why does Rachel Maddow not want to talk about that? Why wouldn't she want to talk to Madison Cawthorn, if she thinks that he played such a role in it, you'd think that that would be a great interview, a great get, that she could grill him and get the truth. The only reason that she doesn't want to talk to him is because she's not interested in the reality of January 6th. And the reason she's not interested in the reality of January 6th, that is what we're gonna talk about in just a second. But first, I wanna talk to you about my Patriot Supply. One of the biggest problems that all Americans will face in 2022 is runaway food prices. Sky-high inflation is hitting everyone hard already. Imagine how much worse it's going to get. But I have a solution Get yourself some long-term storage emergency food from My Patriot Supply, America's largest emergency food provider. Hands down, this is the most affordable way to buy emergency food, and the food is delicious. It's great. Get the four-week emergency food kit, which provides breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks. Right now, you can save $50 on each four-week kit that you order if you go to my special URL made just for you, which is preparewithliz.com. Pick up one kit for each person in your family and you can laugh at the sky-high food prices at the grocery store, but don't wait. Go to preparewithliz.com right now. That's preparewithliz.com. We all know, we all see these empty shelves. I mean, the hashtag empty shelves Biden was trending on Twitter. Why? Because Biden denies that there's a supply chain crisis, that there's an inflation crisis, but you know and I know that this impacts us, impacts our family. So go to preparewithliz.com right now and make sure that your family is secure. 
So why does Rachel Maddow not want to discuss the reality of January 6th? Well, Nancy Pelosi gave us a pretty good idea of this, as if we didn't already know. Nancy Pelosi gave us a pretty good idea of exactly what the Democrats want to do with January 6th, what, why they're still holding it in their hands, why they're still creating headlines about it, why they're still pretending that anyone else cares about it a year afterward. This is what Nancy Pelosi said. Take a listen to this. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a, a legislative continue, continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy, to uh, undermine the integrity of our elections, uh, to uh, undermine the, uh, the, the voting power, which is the essence of a democracy. I'm laughing at her eyebrows. For those of you that are listening to this instead of watching, Nancy Pelosi's eyebrows look like a cartoon character. I And listen, I don't typically make fun of what other women look like. I think that that's petty. I think that that's below the intellectual level of the discussions that I usually like to have, but it's actually distracting. It's distracting to look at her eyebrows. She's beyond perpetually surprised. She looks like she's in a wind tunnel and her eyebrows have, you know, gone up over, gone up almost into her hairline. It's, um, I don't know, her stylist, her stylist should have, flagged that before she went on TV, whatever. Her comments, of course, are horrendous. She said that Republicans and state legislatures across the country are essentially engaging in a continuation, a legislative continuation, she says, of January 6th. A legislative continuation of January 6th. So here, here's what I thought the first time I heard that. I thought, you know, Nancy Pelosi is actually not incorrect. Now, she's, she's trying to scare you and she's trying to paint Republicans as terrorists, but she's actually not incorrect because the reality of what happened on January 6th is the vast majority of people that were engaged in that protest were peaceful. The vast majority were peaceful protesters who remained peaceful. And the, the purpose of their participation in these peaceful protests was to bring attention to the idea that the integrity of our election in 2020 was compromised. They had concerns about the integrity of our election now and going forward. And these people, the majority of the people there, that's why they were there, because they felt that the government had the government at the state level and the federal level had done voters, the American people, a disservice. They felt that the media was covering up for Democrats who had engaged in this seizure of our elections. And they wanted, they wanted answers. They wanted as individual citizens participating in our constitutional republic, as voters who felt that their votes had been compromised, they wanted, they wanted investigations. They wanted answers. They wanted laws that would reduce the vulnerability of fraud and secure our votes and therefore our elections. That's what the vast majority of people on January 6th were there for. And this is very important because a very small minority, a very fringe minority of individuals committed violence. A very small number of people changed a peaceful protest into a riot and committed violence. We've condemned that violence before. I'm not gonna do it just for the sake of virtue signaling. Anybody who wants to know what I think of January 6th, we've got several episodes that we not only lay out the reality, but we talk about when violence is justified against the government and when it's not, and how you do that if it is. So this very small minority of individuals, perhaps it was it, perhaps they were led, they were encouraged, they were recruited by the feds, perhaps they weren't. You can make that decision for yourself based on the evidence that we have here. But this very small minority did not represent the vast majority of the people who were at the peaceful protest on January 6th. And so when Nancy Pelosi says that state legislatures, Republicans in state legislatures are committing a legislative continuation of January 6th, my, my response is, yeah, they are. Because to me and to reality, what January 6th was, was a mostly peaceful protest that got out of hand. 
that became a riot where violence was committed, but the intention of the peaceful protesters, there were so many more peaceful protesters than people who committed violence that you should actually define that day by the peaceful protests and not by the violence. You should acknowledge the violence. It happened. It was real. But the vast majority of people were there because they wanted to secure elections. So in that case, Nancy Pelosi, I can't contradict you. State legislatures across the country are trying to secure the integrity of our votes so that the American people have confidence in our institutions, have confidence in our elections. Now, of course, Nancy Pelosi is doing the opposite. She's being intellectually dishonest. She's denying reality. She is trying to portray everybody involved in January 6th, meaning everybody who attended the peaceful protests and the rallies, the Trump rally even, as being a terrorist. That is, that is what the Democrats want to paint everybody involved as a terrorist. They want you labeled as a domestic terrorist. If you voted for Trump even, if you supported it, if you don't jump on the Democrats' narrative, their bandwagon of what happened on January 6th, they want you to be branded as a domestic terrorist. Now, Nancy Pelosi's lying, but that's what her intention is with this comment. But let's talk about what state legislatures are actually doing. State legislatures, Republican-controlled state legislatures across the country are trying to pass voter ID laws, they are banning universal mail-in ballots, meaning an absentee ballot without a reason. They are prohibiting ballot harvesting. They're making sure that partisan, and by partisan, I mean party-affiliated poll watchers, are allowed to watch the votes being counted to make sure that there's nothing fishy that's going on. They are, these legislatures, Republican-controlled legislatures, are trying to make sure that signature verification is rigorous. They are making sure that drop boxes, round-the-clock drop boxes that are unsupervised don't happen. They're prohibiting those. These are common sense measures. There is nothing inherent to any one of these provisions that rises anywhere close to the level of voter suppression. Nothing that would cause anybody to have difficulty voting. Nothing that's racist. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why is Nancy Pelosi painting January 6th and then these voting voter integrity measures in state legislatures as if they are voter suppression, as if they are racist, as if they are an attack on our democracy, as if they are an insurrection. Because she doesn't want us to talk about it. She definitely doesn't want these bills passed into law. She doesn't want to protect against the vulnerability of fraud. She doesn't want your voice to be represented because she doesn't think that you're correct. She thinks you're wrong. She thinks you're evil. And so she wants to minimize your participation in our constitutional republic to the point that you become irrelevant and that all that matters is what she and her ilk pass at the federal level, even if she's thousands and thousands of miles away from where you live. That is what Nancy Pelosi wants out of January 6th. That is why Rachel Maddow doesn't want to talk to Madison Cawthorn, even though her allegation of his involvement in January 6th, you'd think as a journalist, even an opinion commentator, would be a great interview to get. That's, that's what you call a get. Would be a great interview, but she's not interested because that would betray what Democrats are using January 6th to do. We talked last week about how the reason that they commemorated January 6th the way that they did is because they have no other excuse, no other justification for abolishing the filibuster in the Senate. The majority of the American people, even Democrats, do not want the filibuster to be abolished. So the Democrats are torn between their legislative agenda which is this federal takeover of elections and their loyalty to their constituents, which they don't want to anger. They don't want to do something that'll make their constituents say, wait a second, we don't support that. They need support of their voters to maintain their positions of power. So they say, okay, well, we need to convince our voters. We need to convince our constituents, convince the American people that there is reason enough, emergency enough, crisis enough 
to abolish the filibuster, to do this thing that their constituents didn't want them to do. And so that's why they paint January 6th as this attack on our democracy, this threat to our democracy to justify to justify abolishing the filibuster so that they can push through what they call voting rights legislation, which is no such thing. It's not voting rights. It is a federal takeover of our elections. And you can see this play out. You can see this play out, not just last week when it, when it was the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of January 6, 2021, January 6, 2022, obviously. You can see this play out because what is the Biden administration doing this week? What are they doing in Georgia this week? A speech about the vote, the quote unquote voting rights legislation. I can't even say that without a bad taste in my mouth. This federal takeover of state elections. He's doing a speech about it. This is Biden, the man who tries to hide from the American people, the man who causes Jen Psaki and the rest of the communications staff to shiver in horror every time he opens his mouth for fear that he's going to ruin and wreck their agenda by either committing a gaffe, demonstrating his mental instability or simply contradicting a Democrat policy agenda because they're all contradictory. So down in Georgia, the Biden administration gave a speech about their legislation. Here's the thing though. There is a great divide amongst the Democrat party. And I'm not talking about the voters right now, although there certainly is the divide I just described. I'm talking about among Democrat elected officials or Democrat politicos, I should say, since the woman I'm about to mention, Stacey Abrams, is not an elected official. And that gives me great joy to say this because of course she did lose the gubernatorial election in Georgia to Brian Kemp. Stacey Abrams did not attend Biden's speech in Georgia about voting laws. Now, this is a really, really big deal, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very big deal because this is Stacey Abrams' pet issue. I view Stacey Abrams actually a little bit as the canary in the coal mine. Stacey Abrams has this hybrid political personality where she is able to latch on to more establishment Democrat candidates, but also she is very, very far left ideologically. Not many politicians are able to do this. Hillary Clinton, of course, was very establishment. She wasn't able to garner support from the Bernie Sanders faction, the socialist faction of the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders had the, the opposite problem. He was socialist. He wasn't able to garner very much support from the establishment side of the party. You remember 2016 when all the superdelegates, there was this backdoor trading, this backroom trading between the superdelegates because this establishment wing and this feel the burn wing were in conflict. Stacey Abrams is a very good hybrid politician. I give this compliment because to be a good politician does not mean that you're good principally, does not mean you're a good person. She's a good hybrid politician and she is the canary in the coal mine about how, about what's going to come next from this radical part of the Democratic Party. Not the radical part that doesn't care about actually advancing their agenda. So not the lobbying groups, but the political apparatus, the political part of this. So Stacey Abrams was one of the first to talk. She was one of the first to deny the outcome of the election when she lost, blaming it on elements of the election in Georgia, which were not voter fraud, not voter suppression, none of the things that she accused them of being. But the reason she made those accusations was so now she could come back and say, to fix what happened that caused that election to be stolen from me, you must enact X, Y, Z, meaning you must enact this federal takeover of elections, this ban on voter ID, this, uh, this allowing ballot harvesting to happen, this degrading of signature verification, all of these Mark Elias style voting laws that cause elections to be unfair. 
that cause elections like 2020 to smell fishy, that cause voters to lack confidence in the institution, to lack confidence in the integrity of their vote. Stacey Abrams is always the one who kind of quietly, honestly, leads on this stuff. Now, here's the point of all this. Stacey Abrams did not attend Biden's speech in Georgia, even though she's running for governor there again. And it's been her pet issue from the beginning, this, this, this voting, this voting, this revamp of voting. I will not call it voting rights. I cannot say that phrase again as it relates to Biden. She's been at the forefront of this. It's her pet issue. It's her state. Why wasn't she there? Well, well, here's where the drama comes in. There are not just Stacey Abrams, there are other Democrat activist organizations who are mad at the Biden administration because they say the Biden administration muffed up. They missed their chance on pushing through this federal takeover of elections. This is what the former president of the NAACP in Georgia, his name's James Woodall. This is what he said. We do not need any more speeches. We don't need any more platitudes. We don't need any more photo ops. We need action. And that actually is in the form of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, as well as the Freedom to Vote Act, and we need that immediately. So this radical leftist wing of the Democratic Party who put this strategy, this takeover of election strategy into action in the beginning, there's conflict between them and the Biden administration. Now, the Biden administration, as you know, is trying to use January 6th as justification to abolish the filibuster, the Stacey Abrams crowd clearly doesn't think that this is gonna happen. Otherwise, she would be there with bells on. Of course she would, she would want credit for this, but she doesn't think it's going to happen. Yes, very interesting to watch. Always keep your eye on Stacey Abrams because she is, in my opinion, maybe she's even what, what the left thought Kamala Harris would be as vice president. Maybe Stacey Abrams is the heir to the Democratic Party. Watch and see, watch and see. The next, the next part of this, the next part of this federal takeover that we're talking about, this federal takeover of elections, this federal takeover of media narratives, is comes in a very frightening, very sci-fi-related provision in a bill that's already become law. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but I want to talk to you first about stamps.com. If you've got a small business, you know that there's nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. So save time and money with Stamps.com. Send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the US Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. How convenient. Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send, and you will get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code, Liz, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Liz. That's Stamps.com, promo code Liz. Okay, so as we watch this unfold, as we pick apart the strategy of the left to enact this federal takeover of our elections, meaning, which is more than elections, really, it's a federal takeover of the representation that you and I are due in our self-governing system, we also see this federal takeover of healthcare. We see that in the COVID stuff that we talk about all the time, we see a federal takeover of 
we see a federal takeover potentially of even our transportation. So th- this is a pretty this is a pretty crazy piece. So former Congressman Bob Barr wrote a piece in the Daily Caller warning the American people about what I would call a secret provision. Now, when I say a secret provision, it's not like it was hidden per se. It's just that the bill was so enormous and no congressperson, no member of Congress actually reads it start to finish that it was passed into law really before there was any attention on it, before there was any public debate, before there was any kind of widespread awareness on the part of the voters that it was in there. So he writes that there is in the infrastructure legislation that was already passed into law, so this this provision is law, that there is a kill switch, a provision that requires new cars to contain a kill switch. Now, this provision also has a timer on it, meaning one of the tricks that our Congress uses in order to deflect from terrible, tyrannical policies is they don't have the policy start or the provision take action for a couple years down the road. They kick the can down the road so that people won't notice it because it doesn't happen right away. So this this one has a kick the can down the road provision of five years. This will happen in five years. This is what Congressman Barr writes. He goes, buried deep within the massive infrastructure legislation recently signed by President Joe Biden is a little little noticed, quote unquote, safety measure that will take effect in five years. Marketed to Congress as a benign tool to help prevent drunk driving, the measure will mandate the automobile manufacturers build into every car what amounts to a vehicle kill switch. If you think this is creepy, just wait. As has become standard for legislative mandates passed by Congress, this measure is disturbingly short on details. What does this mean? Pause this for one second. What does this mean? Anytime that there's a provision that's disturbingly short on details, what does that mean? It means the legislature has relinquished their constitutional duty and given it to what? The administrative state. They are deferring to these executive agencies to actually make the rules when they just give a vague order of make something that make something that that relates to this that fits under the heading of what we have legislated. So just understand that the details of this will come from the administrative state. What we do know, the congressman, the former congressman writes, is that the quote-unquote safety device must passively monitor, this is a quote from the legislation, passively monitor the performance of a driver of a motor vehicle to accurately identify whether that driver may be impaired. End quote. Yes, if you have a million questions, so do I. What is the definition of impaired? What does it mean to the federal government that a driver is impaired? Who is monitoring? What is passively monitoring? Who gets access to this information? Isn't it a violation of our rights to have the government monitor our actions? What on earth are they going to be using this data for? Because it's not just impairment. This will be political. This is what the congressman wrote. Everything about this quote, mandatory measure should set off red flares. First, use of the word passively suggests that the system will be always on and constantly monitoring the vehicle. Can you even imagine that? I mean, all I can think of when I actually, when I read this is this gas tax that the Democrats always want, this idea that you will be penalized if you drive a personal vehicle a certain amount of miles, that you will have to pay more, or even, God forbid, rationing of gas once they've really come after the fossil fuels. That, I think, is one of the secret provisions. They didn't prohibit anything like that in this provision. It's vague. They'll defer to the administrative state. Congressman Barr goes on. Secondly, the system must connect to the vehicle's operational controls so as to disable the vehicle either before driving or during when impairment is detected. Now, tyranny aside for a moment, if you will, this strikes me as so absolutely asinine for 
many reasons. First of all, if your car just shuts off in the middle of traffic, what happens? Does it allow you to drive to the side of the road or are you too impaired? What kind of erratic behavior would cause it to shut off? Is there a warning first? I mean, is someone else in control of this? Does it call the police? What happens if you're driving erratically because you are racing a woman in labor to the hospital or you're having a heart attack and you're trying to get to the ER? What happens if you're running away from a rapist or a murderer in your car and your vehicle shuts off? How does the government justify that? None of these questions, of course, are answered. None of these questions, are, of course, are even addressed. They will be deferred to the administrative state. Thirdly, he said, it will be an quote-unquote open system or at least one with a back door, meaning authorized or unauthorized third parties can remotely access the system's data at any time. I actually think that's even a light way of phrasing this. So yes, it's an invasion of your privacy if your data is collected, if someone is watching, essentially spying on what you do. But worse than that would be the idea that if there is a mechanism where this can be accessed outside of the vehicle itself, that it's not just an AI system within the vehicle, if it can be accessed, then it can be hacked. Meaning an adversary could hack this. So we're talking about drug cartels. We're talking about transnational criminal organizations. We're talking about hostile nations. We're talking about creeps. We're talking about anybody who has any ability to hack a system and rewrite code could cause your car to stop, could kill, could activate that kill switch on your car. Now this, like I said, this could be as small, by small I don't mean insignificant, I mean an individual incident that could happen just to you by someone out to get you, or this could be as large as a terror attack. What if an adversary like China, like Russia, wanted to significantly disrupt the United States? What if they were able to get backdoor access to this kill switch on what will become every vehicle in the United States? What if they enact that? This would be beyond destructive to the United States of America. This would cause widespread death. This would be, this is essentially offering an adversary from their computer, the safety of their own country, the ability to wage a terror attack on the United States. So it's not just your data, it's not just your privacy. It's an actual national security risk here. Barr focuses on the privacy. He says, this is a privacy disaster in the making. And the fact that the provision made it through Congress, through the Congress reveals yet again, how little its members care about the privacy of their constituents. Right, they don't at all. The lack of ultimate control over one's vehicle presents numerous and extremely serious safety issues, issues that should have been obvious to members of Congress before they voted on the measure. Now, he lists some of the same things that I discuss here. I'm not gonna read this whole article, but think about, think about what our different federal agencies have done to abuse the power that they have, the power of the government that they wield over us. The IRS targeted American citizens, denied them status because they were conservative, because of their ideology, because of politics because the IRS was staffed by partisan, bitter partisan leftists who were fine targeting conservative Americans because they're conservatives. The FBI targeted conservatives, targeted a, an elected and then sitting president of the United States because the FBI, the agents and the bureaucrats who populate the FBI were bitter leftist partisans and they had no problem justifying using the power of the federal government to lie and smear and try to take out American citizens because those American citizens were conservative, because the FBI agents didn't like the political ideology of the American citizens. So why, why would we give 
the government, the federal government, the power, any power, why would we give them the power to attack us? What's gonna stop the federal government from trying to punish people of a different ideology? We know that they do this because it's been done. This, ladies and gentlemen, this is already law. This will become active. This will be enacted in five years if the United States Congress doesn't do something about it. So contact your representative, contact your senator and tell them to introduce a bill prohibiting kill switches in American vehicles. There are plenty of very conservative members of Congress. We talked about Madison Cawthorn at the beginning of the show. We, I mean, we talk about Chip Roy frequently. There are members of Congress who are unafraid to present pieces of legislation that contradict the left's ideology, that take on the left's corruption. Contact your representatives, demand that this kill switch be removed because this is just another example. I mean, we, we talked at the beginning of the show of this federal takeover, the strategy that the left uses to try to take over state and local matters and individual rights and consolidate this power at the federal level. And this is just the latest example. Now, because there is this kick the can down the road provision, there's the possibility that this could be stopped before it started. This is, I guess, a defender's dream, if you will. When you're playing defense, what's better than having a little time to prepare your strategy? So let's do this. Let's stop it before it starts. Because I, I tell you, I do not want Fauci in the public health sector or Adam Schiff in Congress or Gretchen Whitmer at the state level or anybody, a car manufacturer, Bernie Sanders, AOC, the EPA, peeping over my shoulder, seeing how often I drive, how much gas I use, where I go, who I visit. No, thank you. Let's get rid of this. I want to talk to you about trust and will. We all know that we need one. But most of us put off creating a trust or a will because it sounds complex, it's expensive. Well, now it doesn't have to be either of those two things. At trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, it's convenient, and it's secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children. You can determine who gets your stuff and you can plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your own home. Hiring a traditional estate attorney, as you know, can cost thousands and using a one-size-fits-all template is not nearly specialized enough. Trustandwill.com documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, Trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions that you have while setting up your plan. They are the most trusted name in online estate planning. That is, that is why that they are a category leader on Trustpilot. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash Liz and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait, go right now. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping if you use my promo code, my URL, it's trustandwill.com slash Liz. Trustandwill.com slash Liz. 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal document. You won't regret it. Okay, so I said yesterday on my social media that one of my biggest pet peeves is triple vaxxed people who have COVID and feel crappy because they have COVID who simultaneously claim, but it would have been so much worse if I hadn't been vaccinated. And this is my pet peeve because, dude, you don't know that. This is, such, this is such a ridiculous claim because most of the people making this claim are young, they're healthy, they don't have pre-existing conditions or comorbidities, if you will. Therefore, they're at low risk for COVID fatality or severe COVID to begin with. This is even, this is even not taking into account the fact that Omicron is less deadly, less severe than Delta. And so this is my pet peeve because 
listen, folks, you caught it through your triple vaxxing. You caught it through your double masking. You can't possibly know that it would have been worse had you not been vaccinated. This is a logical fallacy and it's worse. Now, the reason that I was thinking about my pet peeves is because a person in my life who will remain nameless because I don't want to you know, I don't want to call this person out, um, uses the words bring and take incorrectly. And it bothers me because I am a grammar freak. It bothers me immensely. And so I had posted on my Instagram, actually, where's my phone? I want to bring this up. This is pretty funny. I posted on my Instagram a couple days ago, what that my pet peeve, this is a different pet peeve than the vaccination one, but it's, I was thinking about them both. Um, that my pet peeve was people who, or when people use bring and take incorrectly. And I ask, I ask everyone, I ask y'all what your pet peeves were. And I am not kidding. I was just dying of laughter reading some of these. These are some of the funniest things. So I ask people, what is your pet peeve? And someone says, Christmas decorations past Christmas. Oh, also full disclosure, like half of these pet peeves of other people, I totally do. I totally do these. I leave my Christmas decorations up past Christmas. Um, someone else says, when people say um, frustrated instead of frustrated. Frustrated? Who says that? Who says that? Someone says, um, spelling the, the two words a lot as a lot, one word. This one made me laugh because it's so random. What is your pet peeve? Glitter and rude people. And here's my question. Do those things often come together? Do they come together? Because glitter and rude people are two super, super random things. Um, a lot of people said there, there, and there, misuse of that. Okay, I get that. People who speed up on the highway when I pass them. Well, here's what I would ask to you. Do you, are you, try, are you tailing them before you try to pass them? Is that why they speed up? Because I do know people who, if someone's tailing them, they speed up just to get back at the person. I don't do that, but I know some people do. Um, pet peeves saying Pacific instead of specific. Guys, who are you friends with that, that uses words that aren't actually words? Because that's not even close. That's not even close. Someone says, pronouncing the word T and often. So often, often, oftentimes, I find that people who say often also say garage. Don't be friends with these people. Don't be friends with these people. Um, not using your car blinker. Oh, that one's a mea culpa for sure. I do not always use my car blinker. I learned that in California and I'm afraid that habit stuck. How do people use bring and take incorrectly? This is someone's question. Oh, well, by saying, I'm going to bring this upstairs. The, the correct grammar would be, I'm going to bring this with me upstairs, or I am going to take this upstairs. But to say, I'm going to bring this upstairs is incorrect. And oh man, it's like nails on a chalkboard, like nails on a chalkboard. Okay, what else? There was, there was some funny one that just killed me in here loud eating. Oh, there are about half of you said something about loud eating and loud chewing. Did you know that this is actually a clinical, diagnosable, psychological thing where if someone's loud chomping bothers you, and believe me, if someone's eating a baby carrot near me, I'm going to go ballistic, but um, there's actually a name for it. I forget what the name is, but it's funny. When people breathe on me, what are you, a liberal? When people breathe on you, who breathes on you? Um, the K... The K instead of the G, when you pronounce the K instead of the G, like something. Again, who are you guys friends with who speaks like this? When my husband hogs the bed sheets and the quilt, someone says, when my wife doesn't put the toilet seat back up, oh, ha, 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 now we're getting really funny. Um, yes, loud chewing again and again. Okay, that's about enough. There, These are lies. Well, lies are not a pet peeve. Oh, people wearing socks or wearing socks with sandals. That's that's not just a pet peeve. You are correct about that. If someone wears socks with sandals, that is uh, that's 
entirely egregious, entirely egregious. Anyway, my pet peeve this week is two pet peeves. The triple vax people claiming that they would have been sicker if they hadn't had the vax. You can't possibly know that. And then when people use bring and take incorrectly. So there we go. Our locals VIP segment for, well, locals VIPs only is a doozy this week. You can join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. I highly encourage you to do so because we're going to talk about Djokovic. Djokovic being the tennis player in Australia who applied for a medical exemption to the Australian COVID-19 vaccine mandate. It was approved, then denied, then approved again, and how the Australian people are furious. So if you would like to join us for this, and I highly recommend that you do, join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. So Novak uh, Djokovic in Australia, if you want to see the rest of this segment, hear everything that we're going to talk about, head on over to Locals, the Liz Wheeler Show community at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. See you there. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is the Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.